It's Jazz Theater, KEXP Seattle. John Gilbreth here in the studio. Happened to be in the studio here with Nils Klein and Julian Lodge in town to play a show at the Royal Room and kind enough to stop by the KEXP studios. Good day, gentlemen. Hello. Thanks for having us. Great to, uh, great to see you both here in Seattle. You've both come around some under different circumstances, but this is a fascinating new release out, uh, uh, highly intimate two-guitar setting live, essentially, mm. called Room, and uh, playing at the Royal Room appropriately. <laughs> so uh, I wonder if we can get started with some music um, and then get back and talk a little bit about the music. Why not? Sure. We're going to play Racy with a little bit of something or other to bring it in. Nils uh, Klein and Julian Lange, KEXP. Thank you. 
<laughs> nice. Nils Klein and Julian Lange. Racy, right? Racy, yeah. Uh, a couple, a couple of guitar gods for sure. <laughs> I, I see uh, on the uh, listing, it's got you both as known addresses of New York City, but you're both a couple of California guys, right? That's true. I grew up in the Bay Area, yeah. Santa Rosa, California, and Los Angeles. Yeah, right. And um, um, I'm fascinated with this project and eager to talk about it. In my mind, and in some minds, perhaps both of you seem to be coming at it from kind of different directions. Uh, Nils, um, you know, obviously known for uh, a broad scope of work run, ranging from Wilco, uh, which you've been uh, um, uh, a key uh, component of for some years, and some really marvelous, marvelously adventurous work with Cryptogramophone and uh, um, various projects like the Nils Klein Singers, no singers um, uh, out of uh, California and and Julian really like in my mind you can do anything you you want to do <laughs> and figure I what you do right that. Um, <laughs> so do you guys consider yourself like a generation apart uh, no That's, this all. is the old guy saying that right oh no no I, I don't at all either yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just trying to keep up. So there is the old man trying to keep up factor that right. sometimes kicks into my mind when my hand's falling apart. But but uh, when we met and started playing, it was not about anything but music. It was yeah. not about age or anything like and that. And how did that happen? And was that in New York? Yes, it was. It it was through um, Jim Hall, actually. Oh, it was um, and our friend, dear friend Brian Camelio, who was... Yeah organizing these monthly luncheons that we kind of get Jim out of the house and get all his buddies together. Right. And uh, I had been hearing about Nels being at all the ones I missed, and I think vice versa. When I was be out of town, uh, they'd say, oh, you got to meet Julian sometime. Yeah. And then um, in due time, we finally met and hit it off. And within a day or so of knowing each other, we started playing music together. Yeah. And uh, But that was definitely the, the meeting ground. And was the, the common ground Jim Hall then from the beginning? Well, I actually, yes and no. I mean, yeah. uh, I kept hearing about Julian mostly from Jim's lips. And mm -hmm. the reason I was there was because I had written a piece for Jazz Times, 10 tracks by Jim Hall, that Brian oh, Camelio that. Yeah, had right. seen yeah. and told Jim about. Yeah, cool. right. So uh, through a rather uh, labyrinthian path, I came to know... Brian, who invited me to what he called the crony lunches, and that he he said Jim should meet me and wanted to meet me. Mm -hmm. So when I started going to these things, I kept hearing about Julian from Jim mostly. He kept yeah. saying, Julian this, Julian that. I, so I thought, who's this Julian guy? <laughs> yeah. I had no idea, being basically out of it. Uh, and so I went back. Oh, these would happen literally at the end of the street that I live on in the West Village. And Jim lived a block away. Ah. That was the other factor here. Um, so I went home and YouTubed <laughs> right. Julian. Kind of remarkable. And then my jaw dropped right. and I freaked out. Yeah. So then I understood also right. uh, why everyone had such like fond feelings and reverence for this man. And uh, when he finally made it to one of these lunches, we ended up standing outside talking blah, blah, blah yeah. about so many different things. And, and I said, well, why don't you come down the street to the house and check out this guitar that I have that you might like. I don't know why that guitar, but anyway. Uh, I'm glad. And so he knelt down in the kitchen and played a few things, and it was really beautiful. So uh, we just started playing yeah. 
completely improvised casually, and I was thinking of starting a project that was going to be a drumless sort of chamber jazz project. And uh, after almost adding instruments, we did a gig as a duo, and that was the end of that. We never looked back, really. Right, it was yeah. The only reason I was thinking of not doing a duo is because I'd done so many projects with guitarists as duo, and I thought, gee, am I really going to do another guitar duo, even though there was nothing unsatisfying about the music. It was just a concept in my right. mind that I had to change my my th- strategy or something. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. So, Beef, so going into this next tune, which is a piece that, Nels, you wrote uh, earlier for Jim Hall. That's true. For listeners, um, perhaps not coming from a you know the jazz highway, can you tell like a couple of sentences about why Jim Hall is really special? Well, I can, and then Julian can. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I became a fan of Jim's in the '70s. I think the first record I heard was Jim Hall live on the A and M Horizon label, and I was working in a record store then, and it was easy to obtain because there were so many promotional copies cool. being sold gonna, back then. I was going to ask if either of you had had day jobs and what the, what they were like. Well, but I worked you, in a, there. You have it. I worked in a record store from the late '70s to mid '80s, almost ten years in a record store, and then eight years in a bookstore. Mm. Uh, so yeah. I, yeah. Hand a lot of filthy lucre in my day, um, you know these like cool jobs with no computers and no yeah. no punch in punch out. Time. It's funny that that word lucrative comes out of that. Yeah, isn't it? That, that's wild. It, it seems to be a uh, and I'm always trying to revive uh, forgotten and uh, somewhat out of date words. But anyway, um, so uh, I heard this record and it was kind of like when I first heard. Bill Evans, and I knew it was genius work, but it was a little too subtle and advanced for me. You know? So I just yeah. became more and more absorbed with uh, his recordings and just trying to figure out, like, what is with this man, besides the amazing musicality and the harmonic and, and rhythmic factor, when I heard The Bridge, for example, the, mm. the, which he's legendary for, with Sonny Rollins, to hear him just play to comp and play rhythm guitar behind Sonny Rollins is so incredibly inspiring and so rhythmically uh, it, it propels the band but it's not forceful it's, right. it's, mm-hmm. so anyway I haven't said just a couple of words about it but I mean it was, it's a combination of tone uh, amazing harmonic ideas yeah. uh, an incredible kind of musicality that's not exciting on the surface but is deep and thus even more exciting over time. Yeah. Yeah, repeated listening reveals more and more beauty and more and more vision. Yeah. And then uh, the fact that he wasn't stuck in t- in a style or in time is very advanced and very forward-looking. So you listen to his later records and you hear amazing uh, harmonic and very modern and forward-looking ideas musically, just in terms of arranging and composing, not just guitar playing. Mm-hmm. So all that meant to me that he was the guy yeah and all of that it's, <laughs> i second that <laughs> all of that strikes me too and then on the surface very 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 accessible i mean you exactly. know a lot of people just getting into it wouldn't know that there's that much stuff going on underneath well, like, rather like bill evans i think you yeah know, or many other great musicians for whom musicians find uh incredible depth and nuance and other people say like that's really nice mm-hmm. right exactly right but julian say a few words about jim oh my god well i second everything Nels said i mean um f- to me jim was the kind of father of modern jazz guitar and, and what comes with that 
is not only the things that Nels talked about, the the depth of musicality, the nuance, the compositional abilities, all that, um, but just such a high degree of humor and kind of wit and and uh, in a in a genre of music, especially with the guitar that can be so ser- deadly serious. Jim took a lot of risks and he tried things that were really intelligent and really hilarious and really um, really had the power to provoke other musicians and to bring other people, I think, just lift them higher than they had ever been. Um, and that was noticeable if you played with Jim or if you even listened to his records or if you saw him talking in an interview, anything. Mm-hmm. You got the sense that this guy really wanted everyone to succeed with him and, uh, and just just someone very dear to me as a friend whom I love. So, yeah, Jim's the guy. Let's hear this tune. Uh, it's KEXP Seattle Jazz Theater. Yeah, Nels. It's worth mentioning that when I met Julian, when, he, when I met Julian, it was just days later that he was playing down the street at the Blue Note in Jim's That's right. band. That's right. So, uh, and I hadn't heard Jim play live for a little while at that point, so that was sort of the first time I saw Julian play live was with That's Jim. I mean, they've been playing on and off for quite a while at that point. So that's pretty amazing. That's right a setting there. in which you want to be on your toes, right? My God, it's yeah. so humbling. <laughs> it's with Joey Barron and Scott Cauley. Yeah. Pretty right, good band. Right, right pretty absolutely. Band. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's hear this piece. It's blues, too, and it's based off a piece that Jim Hall wrote earlier. It's, well, no, not really. Well, it's kind it's of just, in the style of some of his I'm earlier just, writing. Was, yeah, I was thinking about him. It's okay. a little bit like uh, careful, it's like or it's careful a little or like... like a, uh, um, um, I'm thinking of the stuff on subsequently. Oh, right. Yeah, well, right? That, exactly. It's like a yeah. vernacular that he kind of toyed with a lot. So I, I wrote this in 1991. Let's and uh, now here we go. It's Nels Klein and Julian Lodge live here, KEXP, where the music matters. Blues 2. Thank you. 
Absolutely phenomenal. Nels Klein and Julian Lodge on Nels's composition, Blues 2. Man. I think I'm up to three quarters of a job. <laughs> you got them all. Can you t- say a little bit about the song form that you guys are working with? I mean, it's a, I, mean I don't know if I know the, the, well, the, the term, but yeah. were you working off of compositions and there, a lot of improvisations? And uh, it strikes me as watching you that... There's even flexibility on the on the compositional on the three com, through composed part. On the plenty compose. of co, plenty of latitude, <laughs> but this, that particular piece has a little bit of a strategic. Uh, uh, yeah, a form, right? Yeah, yeah it's I got mean, kind of a form. The idea of it, um, and I think it works best. Nothing against the various people who've played this song with me, because it's one of the few songs I've written that I've done with. You know, I can just bring it and say, hey, let's jam yeah. on this. But the directive of it usually gets ignored, which uh, uh, is to play the head, um, allude to blues and E flat. And what is the simple head? It's just this. the. 
Kind of a blues, but not really. And then, uh, and then this blues in E flat, and it happens at one point after the head. Or whatever. And then psh, we're supposed to leave, depart. And when you say after, at one point after the head, do you mean like 12 bars, 24 bars, bars, or just at any, at any I, point after the head? When I first learned it, it was like uh, half of a blues in E flat. Was the directive I remember? Okay. Like, right. like get through, and then half and then we just spontaneously compose and try not to get too excited, uh, yeah. not too dense, you yeah. know, not too busy, yeah. which can happen later. But I really want to do some spontaneous uh, and and rather thoughtful improvising. Yeah. Um, nothing against quick rapid fire improvising that's that's not thoughtless no, but you know no, what i'm just something more highly considered i guess yeah. and not exciting mm -hmm. and then uh what ended up happening after a while was i started adding the uh the tribute to jim hall drone middle latin section which in this case is like an a7 chord basically and, and i like to play because it's 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 there not only because he did it a lot and i love it but also because it was very uh it's still very unusual for a so-called jazz great to use so many idiomatic sounds of the guitar. And the idiomatic yeah. sounds uh, can include, besides harmonics and whatnot, open strings. So he had plenty of times when he would just love to turn down, like way down and just like... And so, uh, so we do that for a little while. Sometimes it's in six eight. Sometimes it's in four four. I mean, it's sometimes it's faster than other times, you know. <laughs> and then we depart from that at will, and eventually go back into the theme without any uh, cue, really. Mm -hmm. And as far as who's playing lead and who's mm -hmm. playing rhythm at any given time, that's it's so fluid. It's kind of yeah. whatever. Uh, it's nice. hard to dis for even for us to determine what's happening, probably. I'd love to stay and talk for another couple of hours about <laughs> this stuff. Let's hear some more music. There's okay. a piece called Calder, sure. and I can imagine Written some inspiration. Julie. This is yours. Yeah, this is um, a piece I wrote We're going to hear some bright colors in this piece, right? <laughs> you might. It's on the darker side. Oops. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> bright can be dark, uh, too. It's like it's kind of this, there's a bittersweet quality to this, and... Uh, yeah, I wrote it for Nels with him in mind and uh, named it after a, a replica of a Calder mobile that I have hanging in my apartment that was a gift from my mom. So nice. anyway, here's Calder. Do it. KEXP Seattle Jazz Theater.
is just gorgeous. Nels Klein, Julian Lodge, Julian's composition, Calder. That very last chord there, mm. did you invent that chord for two guitars or did, did it evolve as a bigger chord I when you added one? I think it evolved as a bigger chord and, and was kind of, I knew it would be that tonality, but Nels came in and Damn. 
added this kind of. Is there a name for what it turns out to be? That that particular. If there is, chord? I don't want to know it. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think it's a little intentionally vague. It's pretty yeah. vague, but yeah, it's uh, just purpose. gorgeous and it's so strong. I mean, it just as a departing note, it's just like. Thank you. That's yeah. I, I like that chord. I think yeah. that was. Well, we tend to arrange all of our stuff together, and sort yeah. of uh, some parts are rather strictly composed as all the harmony that yeah. Julian's playing with that melody that he wrote is as is for the most mm-hmm. part. But then uh, if we get into an area where we're not sure how to end it or mm-hmm. other times I say, hey, Julian had this idea and it's kind of something like this. And then I start to play a line and he starts, yeah. oh, that'd be great. Yeah. And then next thing you know, we basically have arranged something that I didn't even know is finished. And then... Uh, uh, that's part of the joy of what we're doing is yeah. is uh, not only sometimes finishing each other's musical sentences, but also each other's pieces. Yes. <laughs> Quite literally. By the, time you had play, by the time you had played that chord twice, even before I could articulate the thought, I was thinking, are they going to play that same chord the third time? That's great. <laughs> I, I, I love things like that that set up an expectation because you uh-huh. can... You can either fulfill it, and that's one that's one way, and you can also deny it, and that's another feeling. Um, I have another couple of questions um, before we play the last one connected with the word jazz, which has gotten to be such a big word and such a kind of a dangerous word in some circles, but assuming kind of an off-the-shelf definition of what jazz may be. Um, Julian, mm. you're in your mid-20s. Mm. Do you think there's some kind of a genetic code that brings people to... To move to jazz, I mean, we see it here in high school jazz programs, but sure. there's kind of this um, construct where people would move toward it. But I assume right, right, with right. you, it was more of a of a biological or. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't I don't know is the real answer. I I was really drawn to it as a little kid because my parents played jazz in the house, but um, but a lot of what I loved about it was that I didn't know anyone who did it. You know, it's kind right. of. I liked jazz, and I liked ham radio, and I liked anything that was seemingly just on the periphery that it was mine, you know? And when did you pick up guitar? First? I picked up guitar when I was five, uh. and I was I was into blues. Stevie Ray Vaughan, Muddy Waters, Steve nice. Walker, that R- was... R- that, and then, you R- know... R- kid. Oh, yeah, that was... it was, And I still love that. And it was, at some point, someone said, you should check out Jim Hall or West Montgomery. I was probably around eight or so. Yeah. Um, and so I do think there's a certain disposition towards improvised music that a lot of jazz musicians I know share. There's a certain just kind of curiosity about it that I suppose if you weren't curious, it might be more forced. Um, but I, I just think, you know, I started as a little kind of a niche thing for me, but I think jazz is so accessible. And, and the way I look at it is it's a very human expression. And for that, I'm grateful. And yeah. I, I, that's just my take on it. We're all grateful to have you in it. Well, thanks. Yeah, And a long road in front of you, well, we all hope. God willing. Yeah. Yeah, inshallah, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and Nils, the aspect that I have want to talk about with you is I was just in New York for conferences and jazz fests sure. like I like to do every year. And I, last year I saw you in the, of all places, the NYU Law Building doing a duo with Jim Black that was about as uh, scronky as uh, <laughs> the NYU Law Building has ever seen, I'm sure. But I heard some musicians saying that, you know, in doing work as a jazz musician in the rock arena, that sometimes there's a certain kind of deference that other musicians will will turn on on a jazz a jazz musician, partly because they, I guess, assume that they'll have more chops or that they'll know like 2,000 songs in every key or something mm-hmm. like that. And so 
Um, I wonder, number one, is there kind of, in your work with Wilco and in that world, is there kind of a, is there a bump or is some little kind of a fence, if not a wall, between you and the other players, or is it an automatic and seamless thing? And then I'm curious, too, about uh, and those aspects of jazz music that are not immediately, mm-hmm. that the melody is, that you have to kind of sneak up on it or really spend some time with it to find the handle on it when it's the, the melody or the hook is not immediate on that mm-hmm. stuff. How do, you, how do you bring people to it? Or how do you mm-hmm. talk to them about it mm-hmm. and say, you know, don't let this scare you away just because you can't tap your toe to it immediately? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll address your last, your second question before the yeah. Wilco one. Um, I guess where concerns music of, I guess, more abstract or subtle or possibly extreme qualities, uh, I figure that I was drawn to it so other people probably will be eventually, and if they're not, I can't really worry about it, frankly. But uh, I think it's worth noting that a lot of what I feel Julie and I are doing here is very closely related to uh, innovations in so-called jazz music that were happening in the 1950s. So it's mm-hmm. not exactly new. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly by the 60s, there was even a term called free jazz, which means basically nothing, except that uh, there, in many cases, were not chord changes and maybe in certain cases no actual strict time. Yeah, there's a great Ornette Coleman quote where he says, don't give me any rhythm, don't give me any cho- changes, don't give me any melody. <laughs> like no, that. he didn't like transposition. He wanted everyone to play in the key of, of his or her instrument. And uh, yeah. uh, and I think it's worth noting, perhaps uh, we could become depressed by it, but it's just worth <laughs> noting that, that I think in Los Angeles, where I come from now, if uh, you were to walk into a so-called jazz club and say we're going to play an all Ornette Coleman program they would probably say no that's too out for us Mm. Uh, and he was playing that exact music in Los Angeles in 1958 at the Mm -hmm. Hillcrest Club so Mm. I don't know how far we've come but certainly uh, well you recognize that LA is a little bit of an of an enigma as far as jazz getting traction in a city that's really large and essentially a music town but totally. it's mm-hmm. you know it's like You're that right. finger popping stuff where it's yeah. not happening yeah i think that's true in almost every american city at this point <laughs> uh, well. uh and some cities are a little hipper than others but most of them are pretty challenged in the improvised music appreciation department um uh i was inspired to uh listening to not straight ahead jazz at first so i came to listening to more traditional jazz from the other side i was listening to uh so-called free jazz i was listening to so-called jazz rock which became known as fusion Uh, i was listening to weather report and herbie hancock and john mclaughlin and miles and and my main guy uh, was Coltrane, and the the music i was drawn to was so-called anti-jazz i learned later which was his modal quartet period mm-hmm. uh, and then some of the later um, much more uh, I guess you would say avant-garde recordings and projects so that's where I came in so uh, it kind of goes to the Mike Watts saying the only thing new is you finding out about it and sometimes you finding out about something is something that's actually existed 45 years ago you know and that's it was just time it was just time for you. So I don't worry too much about trying to bring people to it, but I do uh, make music to connect with people emotionally because I'm an emotional uh, type 
player, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really work the high concept too much. I think that, that we want the music to feel like something. Mm-hmm. And if people say, like, wow, that actually sounded pleasant, even though it sounded completely chaotic, uh, it's the best. that's fine. It's you know? But if we play a concert, we're not going to just do that. You know, we're, we're interested in presenting music that makes you feel something, not just that shows off what we know how to do or, or the thought we might th- have thought of mm-hmm. and made up in this, on the spot. I don't know. It's the, we're, we have other pieces like Calder that mm-hmm. are, I think, emotionally engaging, not just interesting musically. Mm-hmm. And then as far as the, the so-called rock uh, band and me... Um, mm-hmm. uh, I say this without rancor in terms of uh, my history of playing in rock bands as well as playing with so-called jazz people. Uh, And I would use the word jazz cautiously because I don't consider myself to be a real jazz player. I consider myself to be a bit of a tourist where jazz is concerned. And I certainly don't know 2,000 songs in every key. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I love and appreciate all kinds of so-called jazz. And I've found that many of the uh, rock so-called players are far more curious about my jazz and improvising life then the jazz players are interested in my mm. rock life yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, but that said many of the people I play with now have and I think Julian uh, Bill Frizzell Jenny Scheinman people I've played with on and off uh, and, and still do play with have a deep appreciation and curiosity and love for songs yeah songwriting uh as we hear in the folk tradition, in, and uh, and I think that that's something that really crosses over into Wilco world, and uh, something that I was much less sensitive to when I joined Wilco. I was, just wanted to see how this Wilco thing would work out. Yeah. Uh, Seems to have worked out pretty well. Yeah, it's been almost eleven years now, and yeah. it's it's a joy. Frankly, we're still having a blast, and I think we're, you know, I'm really proud of the shows that we do and the records we make, uh, and. And without it, this sounding weird, my my love and my estimation of Jeff Tweedy's songwriting skills have only increased over time. Me, me too. Um, Especially, and uh, in addition, <clears throat> through the Mavis Staples songs. Oh, man. And then yeah. write, his writing he's for incredible. Mavis, incredible. Yeah, yeah he's incredible. done some great stuff. And now yeah. they're about to uh, release uh, an, an unreleased Pop Staples record that I just cannot oh. wait for you wow. to hear that wow. was in the can. That was a disaster uh, in terms of production. It had all these hideous horn arrangements and wheezing synthesizers and all this stuff. And Pop's guitar mixed out of the record. And Mavis brought it to Jeff, and they basically extracted took all that stuff off. Nice. And uh, it's what I've heard of it is utterly profound and a real gift to the world. But wow, but we great. digress. We yeah. do. <laughs> we should we should move on. It's KEXP Seattle. We're talking to Nels, Nels Klein, Julian Lodge, and having a ball doing it, listening yeah. to music. And man, it has really been a pleasure to have you guys in here. And as I say, I'd love to talk some talk a bit longer, but I know you've got things on your schedule. You've probably got your retinue outside and the limousine <laughs> idling. Oh, wait, well, you got to no. see our tour vehicle. Oh, my it's God. It's barely big enough for these tiny amps and these guitars and Let two us. suitcases. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Touring by la- <laughs> by thank you, John, so much. Yeah, it's yeah, it's so really wonderful. lovely to be here and also because you're such a sensitive and astute listener. Yeah. It really makes it uh, a like lot of fun. Way great. Yeah, thanks a lot. So the piece that you're going to end with is a piece that's got odd end. It's called odd end, but it actually has an odd end. <laughs> and because I've already heard that odd end once before, can you tell me what's 
going on in that odd end as far as uh, well the harmony of it? It just well, seems it's just so a half step is wanky. This is a piece that we. Uh, this is one of those pieces uh, that I was describing where I had this idea and the next thing we knew, basically, we had arranged it together and finished it. But I could never justify this bridge that I had written. And, um, and Julian was like, no, the bridge is good. And, well, the chords and well, whatever. And I said, well, you should just solo. And so it's one of the few things where we have designated solo spots. So it's yeah. kind of a fusion kind of piece, I guess, uh, to use the F word. Um, <laughs> but I think I just... Didn't know how to end it, and Julian thought it would be a really great idea to just play the line a half step away from me, mm. and so oh. that's what happens at I the get end. It. So, I get it. Yeah. so it's a combination. The title is a combination of uh, a reference to this ending, but also the fact that it's all in seven. Mm-hmm. Oh, can you just rip in off seven. that ending? Oh, there might have some stuff that's not in seven. I can't in remember. It. But oh, it has some. It has some short bars. And in some it. short bars. Yeah, that was the other thing we do when we sometimes arrange together is chop Trunk a couple of beats off. <laughs> Can you just rip that ending uh, just so people know what we're talking about? One, two, three, four. Yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. That's it. So here it comes. Adian, Nels Klein, Julian Lodge, KEXP Seattle. Thank you so much.
KEXP Seattle.